This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So you submitted your DNA to an ancestry analysis company, but would you submit to the tribal chieftain who ruled your ancestors with blood and iron? Rejecting modernity, more Americans return to the romance of the primordial past. If science can bring back mammoth genes, can Conan the Barbarian be far behind? Edgelord geneticist Razib Khan welcomes us into his Khanate. I'm James Polis. Welcome to Zero Hour. In the classic 1980s fantasy adventure film Conan the Barbarian, the titular roughneck is asked, what is best in life? His response has become the stuff of contemporary legend, to crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentations of their women. All fun and games for Arnold Schwarzenegger fans, perhaps, but back in those ancient days, they were a matter of life and death. Not just for isolated warriors, but for whole tribes, entire peoples. The Clash of Iron was a clash of blood, with clear winners and sometimes permanent losers among the haplogroups and genes. At a time when technology continues to distance us from our past, even as it hurls us fresh waves of migratory millions onto new shores, there's no escaping intrusive thoughts about whose bloodlines are up and whose are down, whose are in and whose are out. Racists be trippin', yes, but much more is on the line. People without identities, or with identities assigned to them by their overlords, are less likely to be docile bug folk than it seems, and more likely to be like Conan, biding his time and building his strength, until one day it's his turn to rule. The wild popularity of things like Ancestry.com and 23andMe cuts two ways, much like a barbarian's axe. Mere entertainment to some, but evidence of a much deeper longing among others to glimpse their origins before they're swept away or lose their meaning. It's hard for me, at least, not to see in this an increasingly panicked response to the spiritual upheaval in American life. People afraid that mainstream religion won't give them the juice look to pre-Christian times in the hopes that something more innate than a confession of faith can show them who they really are. Who knows? Maybe those old pagan gods are waiting to give them back some berserker rage. Careful what you wish for. As much as we care about genes, genes don't care about us. The god they worship, if they could be said to worship at all, is the barbarian god of war. Here to peer into the mists of time without getting burned, one of my favorite geneticists and a student of tribal loyalties, ancient and modern, Razib Khan. Razib is CXO, that's Chief Experience Officer of Generate, and has a substack, Unsupervised Learning. He has written for the New York Times, City Journal, India Today, National Review, Slate, Unheard, Quillette, Nautilus, and The Guardian on an equally broad range of topics. Razib, how are the woolly mammoths and how are you? Um, they are not doing well yet, um, so we, we can talk a little bit about that. Um, I'm doing very well. Um, I am the end product of a long line of, of human beings and men that have 
conquered and, and went forth across the world, as are you. So Unbroken throughout yeah. the centuries. Yeah, it was, a, it was a great introduction. I think, um, I think you captured a lot of what's going on, you know, uh, in terms of our topics and what we're going to discuss. Yeah, well, let's get into it. Uh, Generate is the company. Yeah. Uh, just drop the kimono. Uh, what, are, what are you up to in there? Is it, yeah, yeah, is, yeah. Am I better off not knowing? What's the deal? No, no, no. I mean, we're out, we're out of stealth. So, um, you know, we're a seed round uh, startup. So basically, the way I would uh, talk about Generate is uh, we are a platform for life science. Um, the data explosion is here. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that you were talking about, and in terms of my background in science and as a geneticist, has been focusing on taking our data and going back into the past. And Generate is kind of my attempt to take the data and peer into the future. So some of it is really straightforward. So for example, diagnostics and all these other things and related to your genetic background in terms of how you're gonna eat, what drugs you're gonna take, how you're gonna live, how long you're gonna live. All of this requires data, all of this requires intelligence, artificial intelligence, machine learning, all the buzzwords, but the buzzwords, they have reality and substance be behind them. And um, you know, as, as you and your audience probably know, uh, life expectancy in the United States is going down. You know, there's a lot of reasons for that. But we obviously have some work to do, and Generate is an attempt to be part of that. Um, as far as the other uh, you know, stuff that you were talking about in terms of unsupervised learning, um, that has to do with my interest in history and how that merged with genealogy and genetics. And obviously, uh, compared to 20 years ago, this is now part of our lives. It's part of our consumer lives. You're talking about 23andMe, Ancestry, you know, Family Tree DNA, all of these companies, more than 10% of Americans have done these tests now. I think it's closer to like 15%. So, um, you know, it's something that is confronting a lot of us. And so I'm here partly to interpret it and, you know, tell you all what it means. Is it weird to you that so many people are willing to just like mail off their genetic code to uh, complete strangers, corporations that, you know, this is maybe one instance where you don't want to just like click mm -hmm. through the That's TNCs fair. and hope for the best. Yeah. So, you know, if you have your, uh, you know, if you have your identity uh, stolen, you can kind of recreate it. If you have your genome stolen, obviously. Someone else can recreate it. <laughs> yes. You're not going to change that. Uh, so yes, part of me does say that it's, it, it is rather strange. And there are a lot of people that are quite privacy conscious. I get the question all the time. And, you know, I'm candid. I'm like, if you really care that much about your genetic privacy, uh, don't do it. it. Because no matter what the assurances that they give you, don't believe it. Okay. I'm just, this is like the candid truth. I myself do not care too much about privacy because I don't think I'm going to become a, a politician or a warlord or, you know, someone to be targeted. So actually you can actually look up my genotype online. You can look up all my raw data. Uh, for most of us, it's probably not that big of a deal, but uh, you know, there are people for whom it's important not to have that information out there. Um, you know, like long-term in, you know, insurance, uh, that, that uh, whole subfield of insurance is actually gone now apparently because of information arbitrage. Uh, GINA, the Genetic, is it Genetic Non-Discrimination Information Act, I think, uh, uh, under the Bush, uh, Bush II administration, made it so that people could get genetic testing to see what degenerative diseases they might have. Sure. And um, when they found out, they'll buy the insurance. But the insurance company couldn't use that information or ask, right? So right. that asymmetry made it so that it just wasn't a viable business. So it's starting to affect our lives on the margins. And, um, you know, as many of your uh, viewers uh, probably know, um, there's things like prenatal screening that are now ubiquitous. We don't even talk about it, you know, but every woman over 35 is recommended to do it. Many women under 35 do it. You just take a blood draw and they figure out if the baby has Down syndrome, some other conditions, you know, and it's not really spoken of in the broader culture. It's just part of our world. So playing God without even talking about it anymore. That's kind of, uh, yeah, it is. What, what progress? 
Um, does any of this stuff have like bad or sketchy national security implications? Are any of these companies like foreign companies that are like really happy to just keep at like the grinder sort of syndrome, but with with genes? Yeah, um, there have been some issues with China. Uh, so Beijing Genomics uh, Institute is a company that's, I mean, you know how the Chinese are with their, uh, you know, industrial policy. And so it's heavily connected, obviously, to, from what I know, um, to the to the Communist Party, you know, People's Republic of China government. Uh, there are people there that are associated with the government. Uh, there are also great scientists there, right? So you have both. And um, what the Chinese calculated or, uh, you know, believed about a decade ago, more than a decade ago, is they had an opportunity in genomics. Uh, obviously, with things like nuclear power, we have massive advantage, decades of advantage, right? But genomics is a field that's only been around for 20 years. So it's nascent, or it was nascent, and so China decided to go all in on it, and they did. And they've kind of created uh, a genomic superpower there. Um, and they were everywhere for a while with uh, their machines and um, the, you know, like companies like Novagene, which were operating in the United States. And there were some issues with uh, data security from what I've heard. Uh, there were some issues with American companies that use their machines. And, um, you know, there is a belief, and actually, like, it's not just a belief. There's evidence that some of that data was taken to China. Um, so, yes, Chinese do have, yeah, I mean, from what I know, they do have a lot of American genomes, actually. And that was not something that was put out there, you know? No, not, not the kind of news that they like reporting on. No, no. Uh, and these are the guys who want to do the super soldiers, right? There, there's really yeah. no kind of guardrails there in China. Yeah, so China, oh, this is my understanding, or like from what I've seen in the last five years or so, they've kind of um, pulled in. I think they, they got enough information um, uh, in terms of like expertise, and they've kind of created a, a moat, and they have this whole, so I'm obviously in the genetic space, right? It's a, it's a bio, subset of biotech. Uh, I've worked for consumer genomics companies, and um, China, they have their own ecosystem now, and they don't need us. They do their own thing, and they're progressing, and um, I will tell you, uh, and I'll tell your viewers, um, I have a friend who's a journalist, and uh, there's a lot of weird rumors coming out of China in terms of they can't find certain things out. So yeah, they do, they do in fact believe, or he believes, I just gave away the gender, he believes uh, that uh, there's a lot so of stuff soon. going on there that we don't know about actually. Mm -hmm. And I, I suspect that's probably true. Um, like, you know, the, the, crisp, uh, not the, the babies that were gene edited yeah. in China and they put that scientist in jail for a while, he disappeared, now he's back. Uh, basically, from what I've heard, he's kind of a scapegoat. A very naughty boy. Yeah, but I mean... Good thing that's all behind them every, now. Yeah, so, every, so right. we focused on this guy mm -hmm. and that. <clears throat> but while that was happening, my understanding and the suspicion, and this is all like you kind of have to figure it out from what you don't see, is they're doing other stuff. You know? So, okay, so obviously there's like a huge universe of like scary things that they could be doing. But it seems like when you think about it, like it's really not that huge of a, a universe. Not like, yet. There are probably like four or five particular scary things that sure. they could be doing. So there's like super soldiers. There's like man-animal hybrids, like always a popular sure. sort of sci-fi concept. Um, there is like those two might be related. They yeah, they might be related. Uh, well, and so to to keep going in that direction, then there's like full-on cyborgs, Robocop. Sure. Um, uh, what else is there? What am I missing? I mean, they could do bioweapons, targeted bioweapons. Right. And uh, 
That traditionally has been not something I'm scared of, but now I'm, a, I'm getting a little worried about it. So, so what changed? COVID? Yeah, and also um, we're getting much better at genetic engineering. Like way better than we than we were, you know, because of CRISPR and stuff like yeah. that. And so, uh, just our toolkit is much better, and uh, the targeting is probably better. I still think it's a relatively clumsy way to do things, uh, but I'm not dismissive like I would have been ten years ago. Okay. Okay. So, like, what's a non-clumsy way? Uh, well, I mean, a non-clumsy way. I mean, look, if you want to target. If you want to target someone, right, it's still easier to hire someone to poison them or whatever, right? Now, okay, so what I'm saying is, like, let, let, me, let me be explicit. Uh, imagine you design a disease that's targeted to an individual. I mean, I'm not, you can find my genotype, okay? If someone out there wants to spend billions of dollars to target me. It's too late for you. Yeah. You're done. But, you know, you create a disease, uh, you infect them, and it's long acting, okay? And let's say that... Um, it's, it, it, it creates, it causes like pancreatic cancer within five years, pretty much guaranteed. Pancreatic cancer is really, really pretty much fatal. Painful. Okay. How do you trace that? Yeah. Okay. So it's a five year delay, you know, within five years, I'm not giving anyone ideas here, but no, <laughs> I'm no. just trying to say like, this is the kind of thing. If you want to invest the money in, um, someone might be able to, this is why, you know, I mean, I think a lot of the viewers will know this, but, um, you know, now already within the last 10 years, American prominent politicians, uh, they don't allow, you know, like their waste bins and stuff to be accessed. Like they clean up after them because they don't want their genetic material out there. Sure. Yeah. And th I'm assuming this is what they're worried about. Yeah. Well, I mean, these are things that, you know, people do need to, to worry about, at least at least at that level. Um, and uh, there, I, I think there are questions, as there so often are these days, unfortunately. Is, is the American government like prepared to deal with this stuff? Uh, is the competence there? Is the infrastructure there? Uh, is there the strategic vision and awareness there? Is, do we have you know, enough resources, not just sort of sucking up all the data from all the other countries, but do we have people on the ground? Is there any way that we can actually build relationships so that we can stay on top well, of it? Well, so there are, there are people on the ground. Like I, you know, I know I have friends that are in, um, you know, in the American government and bioweapons and stuff like that, defensive, you know? And so there are, there are people there. The, the question here is, at the higher level, is there awareness to focus and give them the resources, right? And um, I will tell you, so I, I work in the private sector, so I just can give you my perspective from that. Um, I have friends who contracted with government. American government is, yes, we did do the Human Genome Project. Bill Clinton was super into it. And... We've kind of not been super interested in uh, We've built the private sector takeover, okay? And private sector has done a great job. Uh, but um, so, for example, the government of Britain um, is actually quite interested in genetics because the National Health Service wants to use genetics to screen, which, you know, I'm sure some of your viewers will have serious issues with. The American Socialized medicine yes, inside Yes, so your the body. American government right. is not really focused on that at all. So I can tell you they're not focused on this particular ball, okay? Um, in, in the highest levels. It's not like part of the strategic planning from what I can understand because I have friends who've tried to talk to the feds about, you know, should we focus on some research or invest in some technology, scale it out? Um, and they just haven't been super interested. The British government, on the other hand, there are people there paying attention and focusing. Partly it's Britain's compare. Britain has like two sectors where it's really 
innovative. One's finance, which not really innovation, but whatever. And the other is actually in certain areas of bioscience because of their history going back to 1952 and, you know, Watson Creek and all that stuff like that. And doubtless their history. I mean, London's a great city for assassinations. You know, you don't really get that as much. All in, the Russian, the yeah, US. all so the Russian one, stuff. One, like that. Intrigue, intrigue. Done, they yeah. have all these like foreign people that are super rich. So yeah, that's above my pay grade. That's more, but you know. Sure. No. Uh, yeah, but it's out there. Um, and uh, I don't know. You know, there's this this question about competence, and you know, I, you know this as well as I do. Like a lot of a lot of guys in tech right now are really stressing out about like the the managerial apparatus and about you know sort they're of wor they're word cells. Yeah, the word cells, government being full of people who really can't do anything, but they're just part of this entity yeah. that just kind of grows and grows. Um, and, you know, usually, like, the nightmare scenario that stresses people out is, like, is evil, right? Yeah. Well, the, there are evil people at every la la layer of society, so it wouldn't really be that shocking to find them at the top, so you can't really do anything about that, it seems like one of the things about evil is it can sneak in wherever it wants to go. But then there's this other nightmare scenario, which is not evil. It's like incompetence. It's like relying on outsiders. I mean, foreigners, you know, not necessarily anything wrong with that, but like EcoHealth Alliance. Mm -hmm. This is Peter Desak. Sure. This is British national. Like, sure. What's he doing? You know, and yeah. like USAID and like DOD is are they handing this guy all this money and he's in, yeah. in Wuhan and like, who's on first? Does yeah. anyone even know? Yeah, so this is, you're bringing up an interesting point because, you know, you're, you're thinking about nationality and, you know, national identity and loyalty and all these things. And the issue in science is it is also a global community and that's a separate identity. So there's identity as scientists, which transcends nationality, unless you're Russian apparently, but anyway, <laughs> um, you know, that's a little weird. But do you see what I'm saying? Like there, there is that tension there. They don't want to create a cancer. Yeah, yeah. So, but there is that tension where science is objective, it's universal, it transcends borders. Even during the Cold War, they tried to think of it that way. Mm -hmm. But of course, during the Cold War, the Russian physicists, they worked on the Russian atomic program, right? And so there is also that aspect, but right now, um, you know, science, at least in the United States, but also like to a great extent Europe, you know, it is kind of a global, globalist, you know, universalist culture and enterprise. So it's a little, people don't like tend to think of it that way. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, there's a tension there. Yeah. So, I mean, so I, I don't want to push it too far, but you, do you think there's anything dicey about having, you know, like a, like a non-American citizen in charge of like the, the main umbrella organization that was involved in gain of function research in, in China? Uh, yeah, I think that there's some serious problems there. Um, even within, yes, yes. Look, I'll tell you guys, I can, I've told this story, so I can just tell this now. Um, February of 2020, um, I was on a Zoom call with some friends, scientists, academic scientists, geneticists, okay? And one of the guys, uh, and I, Look, I haven't, like, I'm friends with Alina Chan. I haven't dug deep. Like, it's, like, not my part of my purview. So I'm not giving, like, special uh, expert, you know, commentary on this. But, you know, one of the guys did work in pathogens. And he just was, like, you know, my mentor said that he thinks there's something really fishy about this. This is in February of 2020. And by the way, these guys are all liberal, like, you know, progressive types, sure. right? And one of the other guys was, like, bro, you need to just be quiet, like, just, we can't talk about this, <laughs> you know? And so there's a Not lot of- in the call, bro. Huh? Yeah, so yeah. it was, it was, there was some weird stuff there. So people have always been suspicious. Um, you know, within the scientific community as early as, uh, you know, basically since the beginning, there's just been, what, 
what's going on here? So yes, there was uh, information control, and it was like, oh, this is kooks, these are kooks. But the reality is they, were never, they weren't kooks, they were mainstream scientists. And now we know that there are a lot of mainstream scientists that have a lot of questions, right? And so how this is done, how it's executed, there was no central planning. There was no conspiracy. There was an anti-conspiracy. It just kind of slowly came together and people weren't paying attention. And so I think this is one of the reasons, like, you know, you're pointing out some really weird congruence of facts, right? I think part of it is just it happened step by step organically. And yes, it looks really bad now, but it's because no one was focused on it. We hadn't had a major pandemic, supposedly. I mean, it depends on how you define it, right? But we hadn't had a major infectious disease pandemic like this airborne stuff for, since the 60s. You know, so yeah, people were not focused on that. People didn't care. And I'd have, I'd have discussions because, you know, books like The Hot Zone, there are books out there about it. I was like, oh, well, it's science fiction. And then all of a sudden, as, you know, most of your viewers know, you know, in 2020, in that winter, it was like we were in a movie, you know, and a lot of people were caught flat-footed and, you know, people are still dealing with that. And a lot of people don't want to admit that they weren't prepared and they behaved hastily and said things hastily without full information. And I don't know how the accounting is going to happen. There needs to be a lot more humility. Uh, there needs to be a lot more reflection. And that's not our culture in America today, though. <laughs> no, you can say that much. Um, do you think, like, to, to what extent were we in almost literally like a Chinese movie? You got all that footage coming out in the early days, people foaming at the mouth, dropping dead in the street, yeah. like sealing people into their apartments. You saw those big, like, you know, it looked like uh, yeah. like something off the set of Alien, spraying down all mm. these these massive uh, highways. Uh, you know, was that was that even real? And so much of that stuff had such an impact. Yeah. Uh, especially in New York, on the way people are watching this, they're like, no, 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 I'm not, sure. I don't want that to be us. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we can't say anymore because like they've, eliminated, you know, like we can't say what happened in the lab. We don't know a lot. Of, we still don't know like the full death toll. There's a, there's, there's a lot of questions. Like I will say in general, uh, the case fatality rate and other things, a lot of stuff that came out early out of China was, was validated in the broad sketches. Right. Um, but a lot of details were off. I mean, for example, obviously they initially said, um, it wasn't contagious in humans was, and then initially it was all this like, you know, contact and stuff like that um, with like surfaces and it wasn't at all, it's aerosolized. You know, the Japanese knew actually pretty early um, and that's one of the reasons they had a better response. But in any case, uh, my point there is um, the Chinese do not want to take responsibility. A lot of people, you know, in Asia are not big fans of China right now and a lot of it has to do with this. Uh, in the United States, we have, I mean, we've become more wise to what China is and was and what it was doing, but I still think we have a lot of our media and our culture that's worried about being sinophobic, you know? They don't have that problem in Vietnam or India. No, they no, don't no. care, you no. know, and they're enraged. Proudly sinophobic for yeah, how many they're, centuries? They're really yeah. enraged at what, ch they think China is responsible for it and whatnot, right? I don't know for sure, but I can tell you they definitely think that. Well, you know, we could go deep, deep into COVID, and and I am tempted to ask if you think that like was it was it Omicron that came out of South Africa, and they're like, oh, it's okay now, it's it's going to be fine. Um, but what I really want to talk about um, to to sort of cap this off, uh, not a lot of um, 
of real sort of sinophobia in the U.S. I think in, yeah. in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. And it's especially when it comes to like to COVID. There's a little bit of like, but I think people feel like ultimately, yeah, it really sucked, but now it's over. And like we want to move on. We want to move like on. Americans often do. You just want to forget. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Put the trauma in a box and and move on. Um, but there also isn't like a huge amount of um, of like blaming the global scientists either. Sure. Uh, maybe that's just because there's no sort of Fauci of planet Earth to like pin it on. But yeah. There, I, you know, there hasn't really been this anime. Oh, it's those scientists. They get together and they cook up all these plans and they transhumanists. They want to destroy us all. They want sure. to hasn't been a lot of that, uh, which, you know, maybe a little bit more would be deserved. I, I can't say. You would know better. Uh, my question is, um, what is what is the international community of leading global scientists want? What is what are the genesis? What do they want? Where do they want the research to go? Uh, I don't think that there is a, um, so it, it depends. Like I will tell you, I mean, I think you guys know this, but um, there's differences within the international community now. So American science in particular, and I don't think I'm like speaking out of school here, is like super woke. I mean, Europeans don't know what's going on in terms of, I mean, European science. It's, they, it's that bad. They could be socialists, but they're just like, what? You know, mm -hmm. so even like people in Australia don't, you know, like, I can give you examples. Like I have a friend and you know the lab that he's collaborating with has a big collaboration with an Australian lab, and uh, basically, you know, they know that he's more like not on board with the woke speak, and he got back channel questions like, "What are they talking about here? I don't understand." Because there were just some stuff that they were saying not up on the lingo. Yeah. So first of all, that that's going on um, in terms of American scientists um, and just academia in general. I mean, okay, what is supposed to be? It's about truth, you know. Um, what you do with the truth, that's a separate thing. But, you know, we're mad scientists. We're supposed to find out the truth. But right now, um, especially among the younger cohorts, you know, they're interested in social justice, equity, all that stuff. That's what they say. And um, that's their aim. You know, they're already doing things like retracting things out of, out of, um, out of publications. Um, they have, like, these weird Kafka-esque uh, ethical guidelines of the papers. There's just all sorts of weird things that are happening. How high up in the ranks have they penetrated at this point? I mean, okay, there's different layers. There's some people who just go along with it. Mm -hmm. If you include that category, they're everywhere now, okay? There are true believers, especially the younger ones, so there's generational turnover. I mean, the example I'll give you guys is, uh, okay, something like trivial that probably most people don't think is important, like standardized tests, they're getting rid of them because of, of equity. Um, and, you know, you know, a friend of mine was saying that a bunch of people in his department, they had to have a faculty vote to get rid of them. And everybody voted against it, or voted to get rid of it, except for him. But most people that he talked to thought it was stupid and that they should keep it. And so he's like, well, so why are you voting to get rid of it? And they're like, well, you know, even if it's anonymous, I'm worried people think that I voted to keep it. So they'd rather get rid of the, the test than, than get rid of themselves or risk. Yeah, because they're scared. Yeah. So, so they have like true beliefs and then they have beliefs that they feel like they need to conform to. Now, there are some true believers that like are kind of dictating things, you know, but a lot of these like people who grew up, you know, in the 70s to the 90s to the 2000s, they remember the before times and they were fine during the before times. But now these are like, you know, so, I, you know, I have a I would say he's an ex-friend, but, you know, he was like, we need to we need to listen to the youth. And I was like, no. You do not need to listen to the youth. You have know? you learned nothing? But that's the fundamental problem. Like I have, I have a lot of reasonable friends and they listen to the youth and they just kind of change. And so in terms of like what they want, they don't really know what they want. What they want to be is popular, um, accepted, and they want, 
you know, they want the status, the prestige. Uh, they want to be part of science, but, you know, they don't want, I mean, they don't want to be a Galileo. Like, they don't want to be on the outs. They don't, you know what I'm saying? Do you, do you think there's an impression that there's, like, not a whole lot left to do or discover and that it's just kind of, like, mining the data and sort of, like, playing nah. this stuff out? There's a, there, there's a lot in a lot of fields. I mean, come on, I mean, it's like... Some of the stuff that, um, that, you know, I've talked about with you, I mean, you know, over the last 20 years, we've discovered, like, so you were talking about Conan the Barbarian, okay? So 20 years ago, you talked to an archaeologist, they're like, you know, these pots, they spread through the spread of ideas as people peacefully taught each other, <laughs> okay? <laughs> okay. Sounds <laughs> great. Yeah. Now we have ancient DNA from people. So we didn't, we had one human genome 20 years ago, Right. Now we have like 20, 30,000 ancient genomes, right? That's how far we've come. And so it's like, you know, my company, it exists. And sorry, ancient counts as what now? How far back? Uh, let's say more than 500 AD before. But we have genomes. We have a human genome from, we have human genomes from like 400. We have human genomes from Spain uh, 400,000 years ago. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Right. So we didn't have one single genome. Modern genome, 20 years ago. That's mm -hmm. how far we've come. In terms of modern genomes, we have like probably like one to two million right now, okay? But, so we have all of this information and what we found is um, people, you know, Conan was right. It was the Hyperborean age. It was, I mean, it's not an age that we live in today, but this is who our ancestors were. Um, you know, they, they find like, they find, for example, the Y chromosome, which is passed from father to son, father to son. Uh, they find Y chromosomes routinely replace each other in terms of like, there's one lineage and then it just disappears. And then this new lineage showed up. So, you know, there was this idea that before Indo-Europeans showed up in Europe, it was a matriarchy and all this stuff. Well, now they look at the white chromosomes and they're like, oh, um, these longhouses. And by the way, the longhouse was a very patrilineal, patriarchal <laughs> institution. I have to say that that's true. <laughs> so there were longhouses in Germany uh, during the Neolithic period. And all the men in those longhouses, because there's burials, they all have the same white chromosome and the women are all different. So the women are, are, are outsiders. They're brought in to these, you know, male clans. And, you know, archaeologists have found evidence of, you know, basically genocide, you know, like whole tribes wiped out. This was the human past. So it wasn't fuzzy, warm, and, you know, gentle. It was brutal. And we really moved past that in a lot of ways, you know. But the, but the, but the evidence is in our genes. The evidence is in our genes. Europe has gone through multiple waves of replacement since the last ice age. So the Europeans that lived in Europe 11,700 years ago, at the end of the last ice age, beginning of the Holocene, our current epoch, like they only contribute a couple of percent of the ancestry to modern Europeans. They were mostly replaced. And they themselves replaced earlier groups like the Magdalenians, who did the cave paintings, uh, places like Altamira, and before them, the Crobanyan. All of these groups, like multiple layer, multiple like replacement events all over the world. Like we are a new people um, humans created in, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, created in blood. I mean, honestly, that is, that is the truth of where we came from. It's not where we necessarily are going to go and it's not where we are right now, but it, you know, that is where we came from. And we know that now. And we're learning about all of these peoples just by getting their DNA. We're getting like, the history of entire peoples that are just in their genes because that's what genes are, right? So we have like modern humans right now. You can sample their genome and reconstruct a, uh, a pedigree, right? But, you know, that's an inference. It's an educated guess. But now we can actually go into the pedigree 
and get the whole genomes. And so we can like flesh it out in extreme detail. And that's what we're doing now. So there's, there's still a lot of work to be done. There's more data than there are scientists to actually analyze this stuff, right? And with genetic engineering and CRISPR, there's gonna be so much that could be done. Maybe you don't wanna do it. You know, maybe we need a Butlerian Jihad, you know? Uh, but, um, but I'm just saying like, yeah, more there's blood. a lot of stuff to be done. Sure. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, there, there are like two reactions to this growing panoply of unvarnished information about the past. And one, one reaction is, my God, this is terrible. How could we ever live this way? Human beings suck. Like, we're, we're violent. We're, uh, inequality is hardwired into our, into our, uh, into our biology. Uh, you know, don't have children. Don't bring them into this world. It's just sort of going into the, the nihilistic direction. Uh, but on the other side, there's clearly like growing anxiety, primarily among men, although not exclusively, um, anxiety over the, the possibility that like, well, that kind of vitality is sure. on a possibly steep decline yeah. and we may not get it back. And in order to get it back at all, we might have to, you know, whether it's uh, whether it's sun, sun the balls or live off of the supplements or, uh, you know, re sure. recycle your own son's blood to like whatever. I mean, there's, you know, there are these these fads or whatever, but there's also this undercurrent of of sort of like, well, wait a minute, like how many, you know, living sperm do am I carrying around? And like, well, wait a minute, like, am I going to have to like keep injecting myself with HGH in order to just like maintain sure. a baseline level of sort of masculinity? Um, there are those fears. Uh, well, I mean, they're, they're justified. That totally justified. I, well, I mean, I think there. I think there's a lot of. We live in a very artificial world. So, I mean, I'll give you a concrete example of something that people don't talk about. And I think, again, like with the prenatal screening, there are things that are all around us, and therefore we don't want to talk about it. Okay, so like obesity, uh, fat is an estrogen signaler. So you have millions of because you know back when we were young, um, there was obesity, there was the fat kid, right? Singular. Now there's. Now there's a skinny kid. Yeah, that, and so, but uh, you know, both males, there's both men and women, but let's talk about like the males, right? Uh, there's these, you know, obese kids who are going through puberty with obesity. This is not natural. Kids, I mean, if you're 12, you should be scrawny, but you have this like marbling of fat and it's signaling and doing things related to estrogen. So we don't talk about it too much, no. but I'm kind of wondering what is that aggregate effect? And yes, like, you know, you lose the weight, but what I'm trying to say is like, I am really worried and I have sons, I'm really worried and they're not knock on wood so far, but I'm really worried about what's happening to all of these uh, boys who are becoming men and tr their bodies are transforming with these like massive cascade of hormones while they're obese because Obesity does feminize you, just, you know, the estrogen and whatnot. And, you know, I mean, the, the viewers out there probably know people who've lost a lot of weight. Personality changes. Why does your personality change? It's not just because people treat you differently. They do. It's also like your hormones are different. You know, you're not as funny. You're not as jolly. You're not as chill. You're prone to rage. You're becoming a man, so. <laughs> Congratulations, you're now a man. Uh, do you think that this sort of obesity situation has, has real effects on the, the, the bandwidth of the, the gender kaleidoscope spectrum that's happening now? Uh, well, it probably just homogenizes. Yeah. It turns everyone non-binary. I don't know what you want to say. I mean, not literally, but um, it, I, 
Look, you know, and like I gained a little weight during the pandemic. Like you know that we've talked about who, this. Who among us? Yeah, but you know, uh, your body and like this is not natural. This is not way people want to hear this because they want to be validated, right? But um, you know, you have a certain skeletal structure. You have certain muscles. You're supposed to move in a certain way. You're supposed to be a certain way. Okay, uh, the Greeks were not wrong about a lot of that in terms of. I mean, look at those statues. They look good. They look good to us today, 2,500 years later, your ancestors, you know, the Greeks. Uh, that's what they, you know, but they're expressing human universals. And very well balanced, not the big biceps. Yeah, not yeah, the, yeah. Like, they're not, they're not hypertrophic. Yeah. They're not hypertrophic, right? So they're not, yeah, they're, 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 it's a lean, muscular build. That is our natural human build. And we have to go to the gym and do artificial things now. And obesity is obviously at the other end of it. And you don't move the same way in the world. Like, that's just like a concrete thing. You don't move the same. Yes, you can't go upstairs, but just even like getting up, it's like weird, you know? And obviously it affects your affects your hormones and it changes you, changes your personality, it changes your development. For women, I know, it, well, actually both men and women, I don't know too much about the male part, uh, but it affects their fertility. Um, so it's a, it's a massive problem and we should actually talk about it probably as a culture, but it's hard for all of us to talk about it and you don't want to judge people. Um, and, you know, life is hard enough. Not like, too hard. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean, a little goes a long way, right? You look at like the 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 fitness influencer scene on like TikTok or wherever, uh, even on Twitter. Um, is this like a net net good? Do you think is it is it mostly just sort of like more more content for the content mill, or do you, are you seeing any signs that like uh, maybe the curve is? Oh, so I think I think I, I think fitness influencers, Instagram, TikTok, all they're reflecting a reality of of what people aspire to be, but whether they can actualize it, we're not, I mean, the obesity spike has kind of level off left, I, I think, but it's still not great. I mean, if you, you know, like since, I mean, we're, we're both Gen X and it's, um, I mean, it's, it's gotten bad over the last generation. Uh, and, you know, we've been focused on the war on terror and all these other things, and we've just become a very fat nation, uh, just gradually, you know, and, um, I think, you know, on the left, there's, uh, you know, cultural movements, fat acceptance, the inclusion part of it. But on the right, um, you know, I, I, I do think, um, you know, big gulp conservatism of, the, of you know, Sarah yeah, Palin, sure. which was like, I understand like where that was coming from in terms of uh, class resentment. and well, like looking, Bloomberg can't take my yeah like, yeah and, that sort, and that sort of thing is like, that's probably counterproductive, right? Like you don't want, but ultimately like, you know, if you're a conservative, it's about individual responsibility, but it's also flourishing as a human being, you know, like, you know, having a family and kind of like living, like living, going through the stages of life, right? And just like, you know, sitting in front of the TV, I'm just giving like an example, but eating Doritos and drinking beer on a Sunday and being morbidly obese, I mean, that's not what we want to conserve, is it? You know? But it's, it's, that's a hard thing. Nobody really wants to say that. But our presidents tend to be, not all of them, but we're not we're going to get there, but our presidents tend to be thinner. You know, our politicians yeah. tend to be well, thinner. Well, you, you sort of like make the first lady do the fitness programs, and those never yeah. seem to work, do they? Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean. Not, they haven't so far. You know, they haven't so far. But we do need to... We need to have a conversation as a culture. I think it needs to be a cultural thing. Yeah. It needs to be a cultural uh, revolution in consciousness, right? Because there is evidence that um, your social milieu affects your, your, your weight in terms of like, you're getting constant feedback of like what's normal, what's acceptable, you know? So if you 
hang out with thinner people, you do stay thinner because there's like a constant pressure. So the new, um, I think the, the new anti-obesity drug, by the way, I, I think it's like, is it semi-glutide or whatever? Yeah. Anyway, I, I, I did hear from um, actually a mutual friend of ours um, that um, also they're seeing effects on various uh, addiction behaviors of these right. people. Right. And so it's indicating that it's affecting our brain. Um, now, I haven't taken it myself. I know people who have taken it. This is becoming a massive thing. Now, I'm not opposed to it because obesity is a massive problem, just like I said. But it is kind of sad that we can't figure out a way to just have people live a healthy life because our ancestors did. Like we're genetically not that different from we from the 1960s or 50s. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there was a lot of war, a lot of running away, a lot of having to like go out and, and kill things to eat them, working the fields. You know, you really had to rely on your body more. And this that's just, I don't know. You, it's, it's, it's hard to to bring that back in a non-ritualistic way and yeah. like a functionalistic way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I work at a desk and, you know, my butt gets a massive workout. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's just there, you know, it's all day. Just, it's always there. I yeah. have to, so, I mean, I work from home now. When I did work in the office, I think it was actually better because I would periodically just get up and walk around the building um, just to be more active. But when I'm working at home in my office, unless I have like a call or whatever, I just like cocoon and I go heads down and there's a cyber world out there. And, you know, you, I have to make a proactive effort to go out and run, go to the gym, these sorts of things. Otherwise, I'm just going to veg for like, you know, eight, nine hours in front of the computer. I always think about like the the idea that we had of like, well, okay, and then next we'll go to space. So we have to like ready the pods. You climb into the pod, you go into suspended animation, you wake up in four years and like you're going to be sort of like a bowl of noodles. So we got to figure out how to like keep the keep the vessel in a decent condition over these long distances in the void. And like that's exactly what we're doing now, yeah. except just like this, the spaceship is in our hands yeah. and the pod is just like the couch. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, you know, you, you watched WALL-E and, and that was 2008. It wasn't that far no, long ago. No. But a lot of the things in WALL-E are, are here. And like impermissible now to talk about. The phone. Yeah. Like, you know. The big gulp. Like people literally, you know, talking to each other on the phone when they're like right next to each other and stuff. Yeah. That happens now. So Wally has happened and it's not weird to us, you know? Because a lot of people say, um, oh, like we don't have all this technology. Uh, but like, look, like I got a supercomputer in my in my pocket right now. We just take it for granted. Like once technology becomes ubiquitous, it's not salient to us. You know? What really kills me is like the the like responsibility avoidance retconning where it's like, oh well, like it's probably genetic anyway. You know, okay, like, okay, I'm yeah. out of shape, like I'm obese. It's genetic, like it's not, it's just yeah, so sort I, of like let, it, let me just speak to that really quick. Yeah, it is a common please. thing, because it is genetic, it is heritable. So it basically so it's, it's quite heritable, in fact. Uh, sixty to eighty percent of the variation in obesity in the population is due to variation in genes. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, I don't have COVID, but um uh, just allergies. Uh, but um, so that's when people say it's genetic, it's mostly genetic. But all that means is the variation in the population is explained a lot by genes because people do have different metabolisms. They do have different impulse control issues. And so when you give them a calorie-rich environment, different people react differently to it, right? But um, that doesn't necessarily mean it's inevitable. It wasn't for our – we don't have different genes than our ancestors three generations ago. It's just that in this environment – you're exposing the underlying differences in metabolism and to a great extent, impulse control, you know? And so is it inevitable? 
I mean, it, maybe it is inevitable in this environment, you know? But I mean, I'll give you guys an example. Um, alcoholism is also quite heritable. Um, but if you're raised in a Mormon uh, community, you're going to be much less likely to be an alcoholic than if you aren't. And that's just because Mormon communities don't have alcohol. So the opportunity doesn't present itself. So it's irrelevant that you have this, like, you know, addictive relationship to alcohol. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna not say let's go from fatties to fascists because that would be that would be ungenerous, uh, but it would be funny. Uh, so let's go from that to the, the the guys who are on the other end who are like I am the beach bodybuilder. I am going to you know sun and steal it and like they're mm -hmm. just fully dedicated to this. Uh, the ranks are growing, um, and sure enough, like their sort of mindset is moving away from the sort of docile our sacred sure. democracy mindset towards something like. Maybe I'll start my own Sparta in the sure. jungles of South America or whatever. Um, you have your ear to the ground. Uh, do you really think that this is like a path that is going to lead toward a, a, a cultural movement that has the critical mass to pursue its sort of, you know, more ancient objectives? I, I want to say, I, I'm going to say no. I, I don't want to say, I'm going to say no. Uh, because, I mean, I do think it is attractive, but a lot of these guys are LARPers. Not all of them. Like, especially, like, the visible influencers are obviously living the life. But first of all, not everyone can monetize, you know, that sort of thing, uh, that sort of lifestyle. And so, like, how do you operationalize this in your, in your life? And in American society, um, you know, even the military is becoming feminized. Let's just use that word. Sure. You know? So a lot of these guys, um, you know, on you know, I'm friendly with a lot of these younger guys. Uh, they live like very dull, um, pod lives. You sit in the trailer, you use the joystick, like, yeah, yeah, I yeah video one, games. And yeah, and I stopped playing video games in 1995, I have to say. I think that's one of the best <laughs> things that I ever did. Um, just in terms of like, you know, people are like, oh, how did you have time to read books? Well, it's like, I have no idea about these like things you play, you know? But um, yeah, so, but I, I, I think that I understand the impulse. We do have a crisis of masculinity, a crisis of manhood, what it means to be a man in this world today, in America, in Western civilization. I think we can all agree on that. You know, details, we can disagree. And how are you reacting to it? Some people react in, in various ways. Um, this, what you're talking about is like kind of a retro reactionary pagan reaction. Some of it is not even, some of it is not even reconstructive. It's kind of like a new configuration of this ideal. Um, what I will say is sometimes it becomes a caricature of manhood. Um, so I will say like my ideal of a manhood, of man, of being a man is someone who takes care of his family, uh, who has honor, um, who's not, you know, you can be a little silly, but basically there's a level of seriousness to you, you know? Um, so if you want to be Sparta, like let's think about this literally. Um, there's pederastic relationships. Uh, men and women have really weird relations. They don't live together in Sparta. And yes, I understand that some of these people want to do that. They want to walk away, you know, MGTOW and all these things. But the reality is um, there is man and there is woman. And this is how the species continues. And this is how it will continue. Right, unless we do some bioengineering, and so this this separation, this isolation, it's just a short-term cope uh, to kind of a culture that doesn't have good answers. I think for a lot of these young men. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I, you know, we we've now got a split where uh, it used to be that well, transhumanists were transhumanists, a small community of people who are like mm -hmm. mostly located in San Francisco. Yes, we're just going to use the technology and just throw it at all of humanity's problems, and we're going to transcend, and it's going to be great. Um, that's not really the city. now we've got. 
post-humanists, we got transhumanists, we got transhumanists who are like, yes, infinite genders, spin the color wheel, cat girl, yeah. you know, and then we've got other transhumanists who are like, no, 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 we only want the good stuff, we only want stuff that's gonna like strengthen people and make them more like superheroes. Uh, is this the beginning of just sort of a fragmentation of these movements into just more more warring tribes uh, that are going to sort of replace uh, one of those populations as time goes on? Or do you well, think so it's I think I think up? some of them. I, this is what I will say. Uh, I have thought about this, and you know, I think both of us like have tracked this movement. Like I would say, I've, I've been transhumanist adjacent since like the mid two thousands. Like yeah. I lived in the Bay Area, and you know, I moved in those circles, and it was you're right, it was like a little tiny thing. And now it's part of the broader cultural discourse, right? Um, so what I will say is there are certain types of transcending being human that leads to a dead end of existence, right? So if you sterilize yourself, um, you know, you're, you're going to like end like, you know, you're going to get on the hedonic treadmill and just like end somewhere. So I think we, we need to have a goal of like, if we are going to be transhuman, if you're going to be greater than human. So I, what, this is what I'll say, uh, a transhumanist vision, okay? Um, do you want to be a better version of who you are? Or do you want to be different? Do you want to be not you? And um, to some extent, we are better versions of what we could be in terms of, you know, disease and a lot of these other things that would have worn us down. Like we look much, the two of us look much younger than we would if we were peasants in 1850, mm -hmm. you know? And it's just because of the life we live, you know, um, the, the technology that we have, right? And so imagine a future where people aren't obese, um, maybe like their facial symmetry is better. I mean, is that worse? I mean, do we need unattractive people, you know? I don't know. I mean, this, these, are, these are questions you can have. There are those arguments, like, you know, like Leibniz, we live in the best of all worlds. We need, like, the bad to have the good, whatever. I do think that there is, um, I don't want, maybe you wouldn't want to use the word transhumanist, but there is a path forward where we kind of capture the spirit of bettering ourselves um, and perfecting ourselves uh, towards what we want to be, what we aspire to be, what will probably fall short in some ways. Individually, I think mo all, all of us fall short of what we want to be, but it's good to have a target, right? It's good to have something we want to be. We want to be, you know, faithful husband, um, good mother, all of these different things. A lot of us fail, a lot of us don't succeed, but we have these ideals. Um, and then there's another ideal, I think that is developing today, which is like, like just like chaotic protean self-actualization. You know, um, where there's no idea of the good. There's only the idea of like the short term feeling good, if that makes sense. But really, yeah, like, like your, your desires are your identity. And that's, you have I mean, in a way, it's gluttony. Life. Yeah. You know, the obesity issue is also reflecting this where, I mean, look, Doritos taste good. They're supposed to. That's, they're engineered to taste yes, good. Yes. Yeah, so Yes. All these processed foods, they taste good, they're high calorie density. And, you know, we're following our evolutionary instincts, but we know the medium to long-term impact is like, we don't look like how we're supposed to look. We don't feel how we're supposed to feel. So we need to have like a bigger picture. So I think with transhumanism and technology, um, and maybe I'm like, maybe I'm outing myself as part of the tech, right? You know, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I still think progress is possible. Um, I just think we need to be, be intelligent about it and think about it. Well, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's e the the easy case is like the marginal sort of a, a, a improvements. Sure. So, you know, one day you wake up and you're like, man, I think that my joint in my knee has been bothering me for like I don't know how long has it been? Has it been three months? Like this is bad. Like, yeah. 
isn't there just something that I can use to make that go away or yeah. at least to like mitigate it? Um, and that's, you know, that I, I think that's driven a lot of that kind of like passivity toward technological change, mm -hmm. uh, relatively benign, mm -hmm. you know, like even still to this day, like getting an abscess taken care of is a nightmare and like there are these things. Um, but then there's this deeper thing, which is like this spiritual hole, you know, and people sure. are like, I don't know why, but I hate myself. I don't know why, but I feel like life has no meaning. I don't know sure. why, but I just like can't make it through the day. And you go to, uh, you go to uh, like the the medical industry, and the medical industry says drugs. Yeah, like you don't even just shush, shush, shush. Like yeah. you, I, I take one look at you, and like here's what you need. Never stop taking this. Yeah, and don't worry because you'll never be able to stop taking. Yeah, it yeah. You can't get off the. Ice I see. What, I see what you're saying. So you know, there's that. Yeah. But you know that even now is also starting to like shade into, like really radical and irreversible kinds of like technological interventions yeah. into the physical body. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I, obviously, I'm candidly, I'm just like reflexively horrified by that. Um, and I think um, like I myself. So, you know, I'm not from, like, the Ritalin generation. I'm a little too old. I yeah. mean, all of this stuff. I think we need, to have, we need to have a national conversation. And this is actually coming back to, like, a common thing where certain medical interventions are happening in our society and they happen so fast that we don't talk about it mm -hmm. in terms of we just, like, oh, okay, you know, no one, no one speaks of it. We feel kind of weird, but uh, it's going, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I mean, I, look at, like, Adderall. And, like, really, you know, this is the talk of Silicon Valley. Exactly. What's, what's left of it is, like, how many people are just basically, it's just the drug doing their job every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, that's exactly true. And, like, you know, I'm just, you know, I, the main drug I do is caffeine. So, you know, yeah, I mean, right. we all, we all have like whatever our thing. Some attribute like the competence of, of uh, peak America to uh, just to nicotine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is, and there is, there, there are, there's a whole field of economics to caffeine, nicotine, these, and like how they revolutionized the West in the last couple of centuries. So we, we do need to talk about it. And I think like in terms of productivity and economic growth, um, I, yeah, I'm pro growth, you know, but um, the ends is is human. I think this is this is more your wheelhouse in terms of you thought deeply about it, what it is to mean to be human. And we in America, you know, I mean, yeah, we're like, you know, I don't know, like America's a lot less religious than it was. And the fact that it became less religious so quickly to me is kind of indicative that there was a shallowness there. I'm going to be honest, you know, sure that it, yeah, that, no that, that it happened so quickly. And so, maybe this, you know, maybe they're just, just leaping between two vines of like a religion that they, they yeah, think has been hollowed yeah. out and some new religion that's going to be the real one this time. Yeah. And so, you know, and like, you know, I'm here as a scientist and we're talking about science, but I do have to say, you know, when I talk to um, friends younger people and like, you know, we're struggling to like make it in the world and everything like that and have, you know, like on the right, you know, and because that's where I am, you know, uh, McMansion Republicanism, right? <laughs> where it's like, you have a big McMansion in the exurb, you got a big like, you know, SUV and you go off-roading on the weekends and that is like the good life. And yeah, that's okay. But there's an atomization and emptiness there. Like you maximizing your income and kind of like detaching yourself. You know, maybe you go to church for like four hours on Sunday or something like that. That's your community. And that's great. But we don't have like thick communities anymore. So a lot of what you're talking about, the isolation, um, the depression, the nihilism, I do attribute it to the fact that we are a social organism. Like this is our evolved nature. Um, if you're religious, you can say this is how we were created by God. Either way, this is our nature. We are social. And yes, we do have social media, but social media is not reality. Um, you know, on Instagram, 
I'm eating a lot of bright, beautiful food all the time, and you know, <laughs> there are no poor people, it doesn't smell bad. Like it's an artifice, right? Uh, and so reality is important, and I think um, we've, I think a lot of us have been talking about it. A lot of us, you know, have been thinking about it over the last decade or so as we like lost touch with reality. Um, and now we're talking about like, oh, these headsets and the cyber world and stuff like that. And I don't want to denigrate like all the social media in totality. Like, you know, um, I know so many people from high school and I've seen what's happening and you can reconnect with people. So there's upsides, there's great upsides. I'm not gonna, I don't think we should abolish it, but we need to keep it in perspective. We need to not forget um, what being human is actually about. I, the fertility crashed after 2008 and has never come back, you know? And I know people, you're talking about these guys that want to, you know, be Spartan, you know? Well, Sparta, they disappeared because of extremely low fertility. Yeah. You know, so it's like you're focusing on yourself and you're improving yourself to such an extent that you forget to produce the next generation. Oh, and then you're like tossing babies down the well, leaving them out on the hillside to die of exposure because they're not, they're not going to make the cut. Uh, you, know you know what? Like speak respectfully of your ancestors. <laughs> <laughs> these barbaric practices. <laughs> Uh, well, no, I mean, I think, you know, there's serious, serious questions here and, and, and the, the, the hollowing out of religion that you described uh, does seem to track pretty closely with, with the fertility trends uh, and not because, you know, there's like a, a dungeon where the women folk are kept to like, you know, keep that birth rate above three, two. I mean, you know, this, this shouldn't be like an onerous task, like throughout yeah. the sweep of human history, you know, like two or three was like table stakes. Yeah, I mean, we, I looked at the data recently um, and you know, we, uh, you know, Generation X, you know, Xenials or whatever, older millennials and, and Gen X, like there was a baby bust in the 70s and then it kind of bounced back in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And up until about 2008, we were at replacement, you know? So it was like C minus, we we're above, above fail, right? And then it crashed and now we're like a lot of these European countries that we used to, you know, in, our, in, in my day, we used to be like, oh, Europe, like, they have low fertility. Yeah. Well, we have low fertility now. We have lower fertility than France. Yeah. You know, like what is going on here in America? Um, well, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I, I think it's like hopelessness, but also, you know, when I was a kid in the 1990s, I thought the internet people would be reading great works, great books, and, um, you know, meeting brilliant people, and there'd be the synergy, this. Uh, you know, agglomeration of talent. And, you know, also you could find your, like, you know, the perfect match, these, like, you know, systems, these algorithms would match you to the perfect person. So everything would improve. What, you know, what, what I didn't realize was, like, half of it was going to be porn, you know? I mean, which, okay, in hindsight... It'll match you with the perfect person. <laughs> yeah. As far as the dating apps, um, there's a lot of social science that, like, basically we're just running in place, and we don't need to get into the details. I think a lot of us know what that means. Um, and, um, you know, people are screaming at each other. Um, in fact, we have, like, people are probably reading less. So a lot of these technological... Uh, you, the technological utopianism that we imagined from the information superhighway in the 1990s have not come to pass, despite all the great things, right? And so, again, um, technology is a tool. What you do with the tool is depending on you as a human being. And that's not that, those are the conversations we're not having very much. There are some people in some corners of the internet and some fuddy-duddy people, both on the left and the right, that have these conversations. But they're very marginal. Uh, the center of American culture is kind of to embrace the technology and satiate, you know? Like, yeah. like, like a satiety yeah. and gluttony of information, of food, of housing, of everything, except for 
interpersonal relations. I sound like Rod Dreher or something right now. I don't know what's happening to me, but but anyway, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I do, I do. Well, so, you know, thick community um, sounds sounds great. Sounds good on paper. When it's not there, you miss it. When you have it, you're sort of like, oh, how do I get out from it? You know. Um, yes, the village The village is insufferable. I mean, like early Stephen King novels, always always my example. And, you know, he's like really harsh on the Christians or whatever, but it's that's not really, it's like village dynamics. Everyone's spying on everyone else. And, like, it's like high school, and, like, high school writ right. large. Yeah, so it's like, you know, you're really like in the pod in, in a in but we a are in the program. pod with like you know in, you know cancel culture and stuff like we have some we have the worst aspects yeah. of the thick community but none of the community yeah uh two models right so like model number one is uh when times are really good we will have thick community people will come out of their shells they'll be more confident they'll be more gregarious and more money to throw around people will be in a better mood more dancing more children more love is in the air the baby boom or the 80s or whatever. Um, model number two is like, well, actually, no, like the good times, everyone goes to the rave, maybe there's some abortions, nobody really is there for the family formation, they're not looking for a mate, it's just kind of like, it's effervescence and then it goes back to normal. Um, it's when the bad times come, it's when you're under attack, it's when yeah, the yeah. enemy is at the gates, it's yeah, when yeah. you know one of your children gets like, picked off by the enemy tribe or something. It's it's when you fear that if you don't sort of have more children, then that's going to be it for yeah. you. So like, how do we weight these things? Is it kind of a little bit of both or more more one than the other? I think it's a bit of both, right? Um, I think like, you know, we live, okay, a lot of the things that we're talking about, we're talking about the extreme ends. So um, I was thinking about this earlier, inequality, okay? Uh, Video games that have no inequality, people don't play. You want winners. Like, we, we crave some, you know, agonistic, you know, the Greeks knew this, competition, right? We need a little of this. We need, like, we need uh, some, like, the frisson of, like, losing and dying and these sorts of things. Like, that's what makes us go. And so inequality is baked into our, into our genes, okay? Uh, that is just the truth. But we also, we're not like gorillas where there's, like, an alpha male and there's harems. Um, yes, there are like expansions in the in the human genome that indicates this periodically happens. But in general, we actually are more monogamous. So we are an ape that um, needs this like golden mean, this happy medium uh, between any between like hyper inequality and total flat egalitarianism. So you know, for the for the science nerds out there, gibbons have flat egalitarianism. We're not gibbons, but we're not gorillas either. We're in the middle, and we need regulatory systems. So you were talking about you know throwing babies down the well and this sort of thing. Obviously, Christianity and other movements arose to like uh, the ancient Egyptians. By the way, um, your Greek ancestors used to make fun of the ancient Egyptians because the ancient Egyptians were notorious uh, for not doing infanticide. They were like really weird. Like everyone's like, those so Egyptians strange. are weird. Truly you know? bizarre. Yeah. And so, you know, but I'm just saying that like, you know, we come from a bloody past, but look at where we are now so we can progress. But we still have some of those instincts and those instincts are human. And we can actually, you know, uh, competition in this capitalist system between firms, you know, people working in a company and competing, labs and science competing, that's still there. We just need to channel it and sport, you know, channel some of it. Um, we just need to not let it get out of control. So I think, you know, some of the sports stuff, for example, um, just to give an example, uh, like, you know, like some of this football stuff is a little out of control, okay? And I think it's like the, the emptiness of other things in our life. Well, in spite of it all, I find it strangely comforting that we're sort of caught in the middle with, with one another. Razib Khan, I see zeros on the screen. That means it's literally all the time we have 
Until next time, at least, if you found this conversation meaningful, deeply meaningful, please consider becoming a Blaze TV subscriber to help us generate more content like this. Go to blazetv.com and use the code ZeroHour20 for $20 off your first year of Blaze TV. That was Razib Khan. I'm James Polis. This is Zero Hour. May God have mercy on us all. 